Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week, we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Katie. I'm Mel. And we're your hosts. This week, we watched Interstellar, directed by Christopher Nolan and released in 2014. The plot goes something like this. In a world where the Earth is rapidly becoming uninhabitable, a team of explorers travel through a wormhole in an attempt to find a potentially habitable planet. Uh, if you have not seen Interstellar and you wish to see it, I would suggest you go see it and then come back and listen to the podcast because we will be talking spoilers. Yes, indeed. Now, we spent – I saw this trailer every movie we watched for the last six months, and every time I saw this trailer, I was like, ugh, <laughs> oh, not again. But I went, we went to see it because, I don't know, everyone was going to see it, and, and people were like, you yeah, know, give it a go. Uh, I got so, a lot of it's really, really good. So I didn't get any of that. I just went along with like, oh, I don't really want to see this, but I'm going anyway. And I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Is mm-hmm. I think where I was going with that. So but based on the trailer, which I'd seen a hundred times, I was thinking, oh, this is going to be terrible. It wasn't as terrible as I thought it was going to be. I Yeah, I, I was withholding judgment on the terrible. Although the trailer was really, really overdone, I think. Yeah. That was not a good way to make a trailer. It was really overdone and it just made me want to not watch it at all. Mm. Um, really schmaltzy and yeah. like full of its own importance. And I think that kind of arrogance is a bit of a problem with the movie. I think that's one of the re- reasons why it's 700 hours long. Yes. Uh, Such a long movie. Yeah, there is. A, and that's and that's the same vibe I get. Watching it in the moment, I quite – I was able to get caught up in it and I didn't – it was long but I didn't get too bored. I think I looked at my watch three or four times but I wasn't too bored. But I, in, in hindsight, thinking about it, there are probably lots of spots that could have been edited. But the, the other the arrogance is just in the sheer number of plot holes, which I noticed while I was watching it. I was like, that can't be right. This is really stupid. What? Mm. I know this is science fiction but that doesn't even sound like science fantasy. Like <laughs> there yeah. were some bits where I was just like – and I think it's because the whole Christopher Nolan exercises very strict control over what he does and it's all about him and what he wants and there's probably not a lot of input from studios or anybody else saying, hmm, maybe you want to cut that a little bit or maybe this character could use a little more work. It's all just in the little Nolan bubble. Mm. Well, the thing is, okay, I really like Inception a lot. I liked Inception too. I'm one of the people who are a big fan of Inception and this kind of – I was kind of hoping it would be more Inception-y than it was, mm. I guess, because Inception has a lot of interesting ideas, but the characters are really kind of interesting and it's a lot more exciting and stuff. And this was so like, look at this. This is a big, intelligent, emotional epic. And I was like, well, you got the epic part. Yeah. And that, well, it, and it, it references a lot of like really big, famous movies and big, famous stories and things you like mean that. How it wants to be 2001. It wants to be 2001, but it also has a heck of a lot of Star Wars references. It's referencing things like The Wizard of Oz and Little House on the Prairie and A Wrinkle in Time, like real classic American storytelling is kind of what it's bathed in. I see. But but yes, it does want to be 2001 A Space Odyssey. Do you know what? If I heard that do not go gentle into that good night quote one more time, I would have thrown something at the screen. So once it would have been really good. Like if Michael Caine did it once, one time, that would have been fine. Mm. But the, they repeated it, and then they repeated it again, and then they put it on a tombstone. Like guys, guys, yeah. guys. It was really, really, really over the top and irrit- And that's, I think, the problem with a lot of the problem with the whole movie. There are some other things that these are the really little niggly things that I have to get out because they drove me crazy. Do Matthew it. McConaughey mumbles everything. 
every because the music in this movie is like it's a great score but it's so loud and if it did that thing where it like built and built and built until it was like pounding in your ears and shaking the floor one more time i was gonna throw something at the screen it was too loud the sound mix was really really loud and uh, there were a lot of things where you couldn't understand the dialogue now in some of those cases i think it was like the astronauts wouldn't have been able to understand the dialogue like during takeoff or whatever but other times you just can't understand the dialogue i actually found on twitter yesterday a photo of a sign from a cinema that says attention patrons going to see interstellar the score from interstellar is very loud and sometimes it goes over the dialogue christopher nolan intended it to be this way yeah um and it's there's a bit where he leaves when he leaves the farm to go and take off. Yeah. They do it like a rocket taking off. They shoot his yeah. ute like it's a rocket taking off. It's so loud. My instinct was to cover my ears. And then like two seconds later, I was like, oh, I see what they're doing here. But my initial instinct was, jeez, just turn it down like a well, little. They, it immediately it immediately cuts to the rocket taking off. Yeah. Um, but I was just like, you know, turn it down like a See, bit. that one didn't bother me that much. It was when the music got to that fever pitch when things were happening, like the two-and-a-half-hour cut scene that went between Murph on Earth and Dad in Space. Yeah. Like, seriously, that was the longest scene in any movie that I've seen in my life. Mm. I mean, that was longer than Russian Ark. Like, <laughs> that scene. Because it, it was seriously, that scene went on forever. Yeah. Right? Like, it was cut to Earth, cut to space, cut to Earth, cut to space for something like 25 minutes. Mm. And I was like, can you just get somewhere, please? Mm. Please? This is driving me insane. Mm. So, yeah, and then when the music keeps building and building and building yeah. until it's, like, pounding. And then um, and Matthew McConaughey is sitting there. <laughs> and you're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I can't hear anything that you're whisper mumbling. And the soundtrack is, like, screaming at me. Yeah. What is happening so I, here? I, I'm one of the few people who could hear the dialogue pretty much all, almost all the time, but I know other people have had trouble with it. So I wasn't so bothered by that, but I was bothered by the music because part of me was like, oh, this is clever because you can't. it's kind of like putting you in an amusement park ride. Yeah. In that it it's, gets to such a volume. And we saw it on a, an extreme screen, which is somewhere between like a between a regular screen and IMAX, right? So we saw it on the extreme extreme screen with the like loud sound, and so you, your seat rumbles underneath you and everything, which is cool. I saw it on a regular sized screen, and the seat was rumbling. Yeah, so that's kind of cool, right? You have the sound turned up loud enough that it rumbles the seats. I get what you're doing, but it's that it, um, like you said, doesn't build. It, it's always at this fever pitch, almost always, and it's really obnoxious. Mm. The score. I mean, I get uh, it's Inception, relentless. Inception had a really loud score too, and it was. But it wasn't. Didn't feel obnoxious. Like it was sort of. It was as another character kind of mm. thing. But this score is another character that's like an uninvited guest or something. <laughs> yeah, and and <laughs> I just had this moment of like of realization in that uh, Matthew McConaughey and um, Fassy. I can't remember his first name now. Michael Fassbender. <laughs> Thank you. I was like Matthew Fassbender. No way, because we were talking about McConaughey. Um, mm-hmm. So McConaughey and Fassie have the same ugly smile, cry face. <laughs> <laughs> they both do the creepy, like wide grin while crying face. <laughs> it's so bad. I'm trying to do it, but obviously this is audio, not visual. Yes. No, but it's it's really creepy. Mm. I don't like it. <laughs> right. Anyway, I, I just realized because I, I was remembering that as one of the oh, okay. several things that I didn't particularly like about Matthew McConaughey in this movie, along with the fact that I think he's very hard to buy as a sci- as a scientist. An engineer? Yeah. I, I was, I'm with you on that too because he's just so laid back. And I've met some engineers in my time and I've never met a laid back one. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why it just doesn't I mean, really sit right with me. I guess he's also me. a pilot, and pilots are sometimes a bit like maverick, gung-ho kind of thing. Oh, God, no, I've just made a Top Gun reference. <laughs> anyway, but, you know, he's got that kind of I, – I get that he's also a pilot, and pilots are often, you know, arrogant, whatever, but I'm not quite buying it. Same as I wasn't quite buying John Lithgow as the John Steinbeck grandpa. Mm. It, it, that didn't quite sit right. He was not so bad. I really, really – Really, really like Murph. Every I love well, no, Murph. the the two two main um, incarnations of Murph: the young Murph and then the um, adult Murph, Jesse Jesse Chastain. Chastain. The casting was spot on. Like, oh, wasn't it? Yeah, actually, because I was watching Little Murph and I'd kind of forgotten that Jessica Chastain was in this, and I was like, she looks like Anne Hathaway. And then Jessica Chastain was in it, and I was like, Jessica Chastain and Anne Hathaway could play sisters in something. Uh, <laughs> like, well, I, I just I saw Little Murph and, Murph, and I was like, oh, she looks like Jessica Chastain. And I was like, there is one actual surprise cameo, but there's a whole. This movie's like one long string of more famous actors turning up in roles that are quite small, and you're like, huh, surprise two for Grace, huh, <laughs> surprise Casey Affleck. But Little Murph, the little girl, um, Mackenzie Foy, she was fantastic. I almost thought she was better than Jessica Chastain in the role, but it's not because Jessica Chastain was bad because she was good but I think she was, much like Anne Hathaway, underserved by the writing that yeah. she got. So, uh, yeah, but Little Murph was great. And you know what, though? It's because Little Murph is one of those characters who was originally supposed to be a boy, so of course it's written better because that's what they can do better. I see. Well, that does make sense because mm. yeah. I was thinking you never get to see female characters who are so angry mm. and so bitter, and I liked it. Yeah, I really liked that too, And I, but particularly the little girl. She was fantastic. I just thought she was – for a child actor, like that performance was amazing, yeah. especially when you compare it to her brother who was okay, but like – Well, he didn't get much to do. I mean, not. he really got a lot less to do than she did. But she was like such a uh, – she was a great character and I actually thought Amelia was a great character as well. Even though Anne Hathaway didn't get as much to do as she could have, it's still kind of fun to see that none of the women in this movie are people pleasers or are in any way making themselves less for all of the men around them or anything like mm. that. Both of them are very determined. N neither of them really is – like a pushover in any way no. or, you know, trying to please people or trying to be pleasant. Mm. Neither of them wants to be pleasant at all. Yeah. They're both really like forward and yeah. and it's just – There's a couple of – yeah, they're absolutely. They're really good. I, there's a couple of moments that jarred with me in both of them and in Anne Hathaway she gets a like a love speech. I tuned out for that but – it just didn't fit with the character at all. She was much better when she was like, no, this is my field. I know what I'm talking about. Like she's arguing to go to her boyfriend's planet, but she actually knows what she's talking about. She's got the the data to back her back herself up, but the others will fight because it's her boyfriend and also because the plot needs it. And um, there's another one. Jessica Chastain's character does this eureka thing and then she randomly kisses Topher Grace and I'm like, mm, you hadn't set that up, guys, no. And that was kind of – they jarred a bit, but otherwise – I like, actually thought they were married or something. Oh, okay. Um, okay. I thought Jessica Chastain right. and Topher Grace were married or something because okay. they – Went everywhere together. I thought that was actually quite well established as being a relationship where it wasn't something that was being like the mm, focus see, of the story. It oh, was okay. just there. I, I, I just thought he was like Darcy to her Jane Foster kind of thing. But yeah. Oh, no, I didn't. I actually yeah. thought they were – I thought they were together way before that happened. Okay, yeah, no, I um, where she, you know when they're in the car together and he's always kind of trying to um to help her out, but also like calm her back down and yeah, yeah. like he's it seemed very much like a relationship as, partnership as type of thing colleague as yeah. opposed to a colleague or somebody yeah, who no, is very right. in it okay but then also she was very reliant on him to yeah do things i'll buy that yeah yeah that's good because it's also it's not defining her like it's it's not it just doesn't 
make an issue of it. It's yeah, more exactly. about what she does as a what she achieves as a scientist. Yeah, and than... the fact that she you know happens to be in a relationship with a fellow scientist is just something that's there. helpful. Yeah, it still was a bit weird when she started throwing the papers off the thing. And anyway, that's beside the point. They're, they're, they're like minor writing problems, but otherwise they were good characters. The only thing there is at the end, grown up Murph tells. But by, by the way, by the time the film has lost the plot, um, grown up like old Murph tells. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey to go go to Dr. Brand. I'm like, we've never established that these two like one another and you're now you're sending him off back to her planet when you could spend the last, you know, couple of weeks of your life with your father? What? And that it didn't I, make any sense. <laughs> There's this thing. I was talking about this movie last night at dinner and I kept going, but this didn't happen. And then Jamie was and and Anth were like, Yeah, it did happen. And I was like, I don't remember that happening. Cause the last sort of 20 minutes of this movie, I kind of tuned out to what was happening in the plot completely. It's just nuts. Like, <laughs> so nuts now most people. I'm like, it doesn't matter anymore. The most common theory that I seem to find on the internet is that he died and he's having that last flash before he dies where his family and his life and his kids flash before his eyes. That seems to be the popular theory. Um, I don't think that's true. There's a, well, that's the theory is that he dies when he drops into the black hole. But that doesn't um, make any uh, – to me, that doesn't make a lot of sense just because, you know, the movie opens with old Murph talking about her life on Earth. Yeah. So that's clearly what they're getting towards, right? So it doesn't it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me for But he, him she to could have been, been doing dead. that at any time, right? She could have been – like no, but then he, about- he would have had to know that, like, for him to have that last fevered thing, he would have had to know what she was like when she was old. And also, we had to establish what had happened after. It- <laughs> okay, so the movie is, like, it comes full circle in the storytelling, essentially, right? Yeah. So, you've got old Murph and old people talking about what it was like on Earth when Earth was dying. Do you know? You have to oh, get have back some- to that. Never mind, we'll get back to it later. Sorry. Go Sorry, there's something about those old people. They're from an actual TV documentary, a PBS documentary about the um, the Dust Bowl. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah, they're actual real people who lived through the Dust Bowl in the 1930s, except for old Ellen Burstyn. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, so sorry, keep going. No, uh, I mean, whether or not that's the case, you, you have to get that back to that in the narrative. Because, like, this is the thing. Okay, for me, I was bored. And I know I was bored because I spent much too much time thinking about the mechanics of this movie. Now, most of my favorite movies are movies where I don't think about the mechanics of them at all. Mm. Or when I do, it's in an amusing kind of way. Right. Like, the, one of the reasons that I wanted to see Star Trek again right after I saw it is because I, I didn't think about the mechanics of the movie once in the whole thing. Mm. If there's a plot hole, I didn't think about it because I was too engaged in the movie. Rush, one of the reasons I liked Rush, rush so much is because I didn't even think about the mechanics at all for the first half hour or so. Mm. You know, I was just totally engaged in the story. Interstellar, I was thinking about the mechanics of it in five minutes. (laughs) So I was bored. But the thing is, I was like counting down until we got to certain points, certain, what are they called? Beats. Beats that I knew had to come, right? So I was like, well, this beat is coming next and then we'll have this beat. And I was waiting for. So I knew we had to get back to Old Murph too, but I just, I, I, I'm, and I'm not saying that his dead theory is right. I'm just saying that's the most popular theory about it. It may movie. be the most popular theory. I just think it's like uh, completely illogical in terms of the movie that we got. Mm. Like it might be a way of trying to make it a more intelligent movie than it is, which I can understand because it isn't a very intelligent movie, even though it thinks it is. Um, um, yeah, I think that's the key thing, isn't it? It's that it thinks it's so much smarter than it actually is. Like, there's so many really dumb plot points and plot holes and, like, just silly bits of science. Yeah, but, like, because we've seen that happening. He has to know, in order for it to be his fever dream, then he would have to know what Murph was like when she was old. 
because mm. we know what Murph was like when right. she was old. You know Fair what I enough. mean? Fair he enough. had no way of knowing that. <laughs> I was happy to buy it. I was watching it and being like, you know what? Fine. I'll accept this because it's just it was better than I, I think I was just at this point just going with it. I'm like, are we gonna is this ever gonna end? Like See, where is this going? I was like, Oh, is he gonna die? That'd be great. But then I was like, Oh, he can't die because he has to reunite with Murph because that's the entire point of the, the whole, whole movie. movie is like cause he left in a you know, and they were mad at each other, so he has to have the reunion. Yeah. It just and and also I didn't really um connect with Ellen Burstyn as Murph. Right. Because she doesn't – like, they did such a good job with casting the younger actor to look like Jessica Chastain, and Ellen Burstyn looks absolutely nothing like Jessica Chastain. No. Well, I think it's another one of those, like, random famous actor cameos. Like, Christopher Nolan is su- has such a reputation that people will work with him even for in a tiny part. Mm. Like, I, I don't know if that's true, but it's sort of – it's another one of those, like – way more famous than the part parts of this movie. Yeah, it just didn't really – I didn't feel the connection between them. Mm. And I felt oh, the connection yeah, no, between was, them even though Jessica Chastain and Matthew McConaughey never interacted. There was I no still felt was there? No. Yeah. And there end. was great chemistry with Little Murph and Cooper. But then I felt the connection between Murph and Cooper between two actors who never had a scene together, mm. right? Like that was a better connection than the one with Ellen Burstyn at the end. So I didn't – really buy that but also yeah by the time it was finishing i was like but this never happened right (laughs) my friends were like no it did happen it did happen i was like really when because i just totally lost the plot i had no (laughs) interest when he was you know there's this big moment when he's like oh i'm also disconnecting to go into the black hole and i'm like yeah of course he is yeah because he's like the cowboy (laughs) he has Mm. to do that yeah and he has to save the girl and she doesn't – yeah, the the problem with Amelia is that, like, you'd think she would get to do something heroic at some point if for no other reason than to redeem herself for the stupid thing she does early on. Yeah. Also, okay, this is another one of the plot holes. I'm sure there's millions of them. They know that time runs differently on that planet. How did they not know that they were only sending out signals for the first hour that they were there? Why didn't they think of that? I know. It, and it also seems like you can send information – like. You can send more detailed information back, but only if it's convenient to the plot. Like, there are messages that get through and from the astronauts, but then they can't, like, communicate with their own ship when they're on this planet, and they can't get more than a ping from the people who've set up on a planet. But if they need to send something back to Michael Caine, they actually can. Uh, I don't know. And I feel like it was really proud of itself for things like there's no sound in space and you have to to have something spinning in order to create um, false gravity and stuff. But I'm like, just because you're following the rules of physics doesn't mean that you're being very intelligent. It just means that you're being more intelligent than most of the dumb sci-fi out there. Yeah, I'm sorry. (laughs) You said that. I was like, you kind of change the laws of physics. Laws of physics. (laughs) Because I can't help myself. And because Star Trek is more fun. <laughs> Way more fun. I think mm. that's another thing. It really lacks fun. Mm. It is it's a very serious movie. You, this is what, have you ever actually watched 2001 all the way through? Because I haven't. No. <laughs> I got, got about 20 minutes in and I'd actually, I'd either fallen asleep or just gotten bored and I gave up. And I know that it gets, there's more than, like that first 20 minutes is really long. But I know enough about it to know that this is referencing it. But I was much more able to pick up the Star, Star Wars references than the references to that. I think it says something when A, I don't particularly like robots and B, the, you know, robots don't get a lot to do and yet they're still the best characters robots in the movie. Robots are the best bit of the whole damn movie. But they they have this wonderful R2-D2, um, C-3PO function in the movie and they're great. No, but they also have an arc. Yeah. Taz has an arc. A whole thing. Like the best relationship in the movie is the one between Cooper and Taz. Mm. 
like because they don't like each other and initially. They, they fly off at the end like Luke Skywalker and R two D two. Exactly, it's adorable. Yeah, they they like make they they they're the um bromance of the movie. Yeah, is, is this like oblong robot well, oh, thingy? Actually, that was something that was kind of that it was very much in the aesthetic of the movie. These robots are really old school, like big blocky things and um no but they also make sense in terms of they can do so many different things um they're quite they're really quite neatly designed yes yeah they they, you think they'd be blocky but then they can walk and they can turn themselves into like spinning things if they need to they're great and carry people and Mm. yeah they have a lot of functions um and they're initially made as battle robots Mm, which kind of makes sense for them as well yeah um but yeah oh they yeah they were my favorite bit (laughs) The whole movie. They were the only comic relief anybody got as well. Yeah. And I kept thinking of Gravity mostly because Anne Hathaway kind of looks like Sandra uh, yeah, Bullock. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and, you know, it's it's not that it's bad or <laughs> I have a problem with it or anything. It just no. made me think of Gravity and how much yeah. more I liked that movie. And and how much – that Gravity was so tight as well. Mm-hmm. It was 90 really tight minutes. Yeah, and this is kind of bloated. And this just keeps going on and there's so much – else going on and yeah. okay so i want to know your feelings about matt damon because you are the matt damon fan out of the two of us it was unnecessary and they could have cut it i, I, I love matt damon i love surprise matt damon but i'm like this was just an, like another unnecessary meandering as soon as he turned up be like oh this is not gonna go well he's the tom bombadil yeah like it was yes it's really fun to have a surprise like that like a really famous actor that you don't expect at first when he when he wakes up out of his thing and he hugs matthew mcconaughey and i'm like oh my god what the hell holy shit and then, but then it's very, very quickly becomes apparent that all is not well on this planet and it's going to go badly and he's going to be a bad guy. So I think we probably could have cut that out and it still would have been a really tight movie. Like we could have, there could have been some other. It wouldn't have been tight because it's still much too long earlier than that. But that is the part of the movie that I liked the least. Mm, it's that whole it unnecessary. incredibly bloated section of cutting back. And forth. And oh, back and, and forth when? And back and yeah, forth no. And back I was and like, forth and back and forth and back and forth. Oh my god! He gets a, he gets like a great death scene where he's about to launch into this big speech and he's suddenly sucked out an airlock. That's brilliant. Love that. But it, the whole thing was unnecessary. And yeah, and it goes on just too long. Well, everybody's very into speechifying in this movie. Oh my god! No, I know. I, and there, and there's this really, there's, I don't know. Yeah, the whole thing is silly. I, as much as I'm excited to see Matt Damon turn up in anything, I'm like. Eh. I think he would have been – he could have been a cool character if he was from, with them from the beginning, mm. if he was the traitor within their midst that was actually within their midst. Mm. Um, would have been really interesting. Um, yes. That I think might have worked better because you would have had more of a connection to him, although I was still kind of sad because the beginning was so like – I don't know, emotional. That was the most emotionally effective scene of the movie. Yeah, for yeah, me. yeah. That's- apart from him, apart from um, Cooper leaving Murph, mm. the most effect- emotionally affecting scene is when he wakes up and he hasn't seen a human being in such a long time and he just cries. Yeah. And that was like amazing. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Yeah. So it was a bit disappointing that that was all kind of for naught in a sense. Yeah. And he was particularly despicable, I think, because of his whole, I'm so sorry that I have to do this to you. Attitude. Oh, I can't watch you go through this. That stuff where you're mm. like, oh my god, I hate you so much. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to be a bad guy, be a bad guy. <laughs> yeah. So that was kind of annoying. Um, there was something else I just wanted to talk about now, and I've forgotten what it was. Mm, I don't know. I've I've like this whole massive Evernote that I wrote. Um. Okay. So there's some things I liked about the movie. <laughs> Yeah. A lot of things I liked about the movie, so I should probably talk about at least some of them. Um, it was really pretty. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. It was really pretty. the The planet, con- the conception of the planets was really, really good. Mm-hmm. 
um, even if they weren't always shot in the best way. Like the waves planet, there was no tension in that scene, that action scene, because you couldn't figure out where the waves were. <laughs> mm. Like there was no cutting between them and the wave to show it getting closer or anything. So you were just kind of like, is it coming? Is it coming? And then suddenly Seneca Crane is off the ship. Yeah. And it was- Which that was the other thing I was going to talk about. I have no problem separating actors and roles. For some reason, for the whole movie, all I could think of from Wes Bentley was that he was Seneca Crane. Oh, okay. So I don't think I've seen Wes Bentley in anything since like The Hunger Games, where he was Seneca Crane. I don't remember him in that. Um, I, since like American Beauty, I don't even know who Seneca Crane is. He's in the first Hunger Games movie. He's the game maker with the fancy beard. Oh, okay. He was in that. Oh, there you go. Okay, so I actually really, really, really liked the first about half hour of this movie. Mm. Um, that was my favorite part of the movie. I think the ending kind of soured me on the whole experience quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 I'm going to give it quite a high mark because I think, um, there was a lot of really good stuff that happened before they went to space. Yeah. I <laughs> and think I you're feel right. like cutting out all the big scenes of the movie would have made it a really good movie. I actually think you're right because I was sitting there for the first, first while, probably until the Matt Damon bit where I was like, this is really good. Way much better than I thought it was going to be. And then it just kept going and it kept going and it kept going. And I, I kept spotting more and more plot holes. And mm. you're just like, really? See, it was much, it was long but, before the Matt – it was probably not long after he left Earth that I it started to fall apart for me. And I think the, the amount of time that we didn't see Murph for didn't do the movie much of a service. Ah, uh, yeah. Because we're focusing too much on people who aren't Murph. <laughs> But, like, the whole first half hour of that, like, family end-of-the-world drama, oh, that yeah. was a really good movie. It, that's And this is the thing. It's kind of doing – trying to do all this – cram all this stuff into it. So, if you were doing a end-of-the-world dystopian kind of thing, it was amazing, right? Mm. That that bit with the family and the way they – um they sort of started building this world and they didn't quite get – they weren't really – because it wasn't really the point – it would have been really interesting, I think, to explore the whole what's actually gone wrong in this world and what are the, what's how are they coping and all that stuff was really interesting. Yeah, um, and that was really and him at the school, how that scene was really great. Mm. Him at the school, you know, talking to Murph's teachers and oh, what see, are you going to do to discipline her? And he goes, "I'm going to take her to a baseball game." I, I liked that scene. Yeah, I liked it. I um, I just didn't buy that. The school, like I thought, it was too heavy-handed. I get what they're oh, trying yeah, but to do. You know, it's like I just didn't buy that any school would actually do that. Like in any, of any teacher, they will. Like any teacher worth their salt, when a kid brings up something like that, would be like, would use it as a, a learning opportunity to teach the kid critical thinking. Like, well, why do you believe this, and why do we, Melissa? This it's a dystopian future, <laughs> and everybody who's not our heroes engages in groupthink. Every teacher who is in a movie or TV show, every one of them would be fired. Mm. Yeah. No, 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 it's but, the I mean, system I, being bad. I was bad. about to say, oh, how would you feel if you're an engineer? But basically, this movie feeds right into engineers' already existing superiority complex. So, mm-hmm. I'm not worried at all about that. It's like, oh, engineers and physicists, we're so wonderful and special and important. Although, the thing is, the point that it's making, which is that it's worth funding, you know, engineering and physics, is also the same point that artists always make. It's worth funding the arts and poetry and things that don't seem useful because, in fact, they are important to understanding our humanity and all that kind of stuff. It was just... Again, a point made so very heavy-handedly. It was heavy-handed, but it was nice. It is a nice like, point, and it's one the, I agree with. It's a, but it's also like quite kind of self-serving. No, I know, but the, the, this is another point that I was making was that it has to rely more heavily on certain tropes mm. because it's expecting us to buy into this 
complete a world that nutty. we're not. No, no, no. It's not just complete nutty. It's the world that we're not a part of, right? Yes. So we have. They have. They often rely much more heavily on storytelling and character tropes in order to be able to tell a story that we can understand really easily in a setting that we don't understand. Like Ga- uh, Guardians of the Galaxy does it. Yeah. Because they're expecting us to be in this world that's so alien. Mm. And Interstellar is a future that's like so alien to us. And so they have to be more heavy handed with the tropes in order for us to engage with it fully. Yeah, see, whereas I didn't think the future was very heavy. Like it's not a very it's not a very uh beyond our experience at all. And that is underscored no, by but the, the fact way that they were able to use real old people talking about the real a real event that happened. No, I don't mean about the actual end of the world, but the the way that like that the teacher is like, ha ha ha, people never went to the moon. Right. And things yeah. like that is a totally alien concept to us. Why would they stop? Like the fact yeah. that there's no NASA well, at all when a, the world it's is a t- ending. total plot hole because Matthew McConaughey's character, who's about 45 years old, which is think about the age Matthew McConaughey is, has been a pilot for NASA, which means that NASA has existed within living memory, which means there are enough people who've actually been to space to not, to like, make that kind of conspiracy theory seem silly, much like it is today. You mean like in, um, oh, what is it, Judge? Is, no, 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 no. Um, Demolition Man? Yeah. When they're all like, oh, it's been so long since there's been any crime and only this one old guy who works at the station knows anything about it. And you're like, it was only 30 years ago. Right. And, and see, if Matthew McGonaghy is a trained NASA pilot, he was a NASA pilot probably 15 years ago at most, right? Because mm-hmm. it probably takes, you know, a few years to become that. And so that's 15 years ago. That's that's really, really short memory. That's like the distance between where we are now and like just a little bit longer than 9-11, for example. That's not very far, not very long ago. People lived through it and we know them. Also, Jessica Chastain and Matthew McConaughey are nowhere near the right same age, right? She's, oh, I think she's like 35 or yeah, so. Yeah, 35, 36, and he's like 45. Yeah. Yeah, because they're he all. And Matt oh, Damon. I'm the same age you were when you left, right. and I'm like, so, no, you're not. He and Matt Damon are around the same age in real life, and Jessica Chastain's really about 35 or so. I think she's older than that. Maybe I don't know. Roughly that age, though, like mid 30s. Mm. If we're buying Matthew McConaughey's 40, maybe we could buy that, I suppose. And when then we buy hers. But the thing is, the ending doesn't work unless he's 45 when he leaves, and she's like 10, because mm-hmm. um, otherwise. Because he's been gone 124 years, so she's like... No, he's 124 years old. Sorry, he's meant to be 124 years old, which puts her at... He'd given... He didn't give birth to her. He'd had her at 35 or so. She's about 90 when the movie ends, Yeah, I think. so she's... Yeah, exactly. She's about 90. So yeah. to make that maths work, he has to be about the age he actually is. Huh? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. So the only way that works is that if he's actually the age that he looks that he is. And yeah, Wait, and Jessica Chastain looks no, a good 10 a years younger. <laughs> I'm trying to figure, so if he's 124 and she's, yeah, so, right, so he was about 35 when he had her and she'd be, he'd be 45 when he left, which means that Jessica Chastain in the movie would have to be 45, which is not working. Well, means and she hasn't had any kids yet and she has a whole bunch of them in the future. Yeah, and if she didn't start till she was 35, then like. No, but. How would she have had five children? Yeah, no, 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 no. Like, she would have had to start at 45 because she's the same age he was when he left. He says, you and I will be the same age when I yeah. get back. And she's like, this is my birthday. I'm the same age you so, were yeah, when so you I left. So, I figured she was like He'd have to be 40. 35 in the movie. <laughs> Nobody's buying that. I'm really just like, yeah, the maths on it is, That's is wonky as right. hell. No, it's, yeah, don't. You see, we're thinking about the plot holes too much. 
And I thought it was all about how did they get beer if they can only grow corn. No, no, there are more plot holes than that. <laughs> okay, so, uh, yeah, I wanted to talk about some of the things I liked about it. I think also mm. some of the scenes were really, like, it was, it's exciting to get to see this kind of sci-fi where they're going, they're really going hard at the sci-fi part of it. Yeah, right? yeah, like, yeah. Like, you know, crazy planets with giant waves, although clearly waves, not mountains, you morons. <laughs> You'd think oh, look, that people are more familiar with um, black holes and what it's like to be close to a black hole would maybe. Anyway, <laughs> the wave planet and the ice planet where like the mountains went over the top of them, which, by the way, hap- is in Star Trek anyway, Um, if you remember the, the Vulcan. Yeah. It's like goes both ways but and then you know a lot of things the the design of the ship is really cool um i yeah i was actually want to talk about some of the the that's really like old-fashioned tech all the technology looks like it comes from the 80s and you've got lots of like switches that click and old style space suits and even the old style robots and stuff like and there you get the feeling of as the ships go through Things you hear it creak and shudder, and the, ty- the the you know the spaceships sort of you get the idea that they've actually had to like build this from spare parts, mm-hmm. and that was kind of a nice um, aesthetic to the whole thing. You even see it actually in the classroom. There's like an old style either VCR or DVD player and an old school CRT TV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I like that sort of old tech stuff because it feels really clunky and solid. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that's done in, in camera as well. Yeah, and then they go to the future and there's that cool space station that goes all the way around and mm. stuff like that's kind of Which fun. Which is a, a, a 2001 reference um, according to the internet. Oh, is it? Yeah. That was neat. Um, mm. I liked that kind of way of separating the future and the past. And I think there's some really good performances in the movie and there's a lot of really fun, like not fun, but, you know, interesting bits and exciting bits and stuff. Yeah. I think it just kind of it falls apart so much at the end that you can't help but question the rest of it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you I ca- just thought of another plot hole a minute ago and I've forgotten about it and that's oh, how many there so are. There's so many. It's not as bad as Prometheus. <laughs> I haven't seen that in one. In terms yeah. of plot holes, yeah. And and the thing is, like, it's kind of like the plot holes either kind of – they kind of hang a lantern on them type plot holes. Like, oh, yeah, now we can incubate children from, you know, we don't need grown women to give birth to them. We can just incubate them and they'll, they will grow on this new planet. That's just it. And then we move on. And some, um, so just in order to kind of plot convenience, like Titan A. Right, anyway. it reminded me of because Planet I spent Bob the whole because I, I even though I saw that section, I spent the whole movie going, why did you send one woman of childbearing age on this mission? If you if Plan B is to set up a colony, surely you need more people who can bear children. Like, sure, maybe that incubation thing isn't going to work. I have a bigger problem with that, <laughs> which is that every single one of those is going to be babies, right? Yeah, well, that's the thing. She, she's going to have to raise like ten of them to like for like ten years before they can do anything useful. <laughs> no, that was what really got to me. Was like <laughs> your plan here is to make an entire planet of babies, <laughs> and you've got do? four adults to take care of them. Plan A like, was never supposed to work, right? No, Plan B was the one that was supposed to work, and yet they still only send one woman. So they're absolutely certain this incubation technology is going to work. And Not also, only are they th- there's only certain sending, it's going to work. But and they're also, also certain that somehow the babies will survive. And they'll have to, they'll be able to raise like ten children on their own. They'll be so taken up with raising of children, they won't actually be able to do any, you know, science. science. They won't need to do any science. The world will provide or for them. Or Anne Hathaway will do all the raising of the children and leave the sciencing to the men. <laughs> of course, is more likely. Yeah, that's the whole. Yeah, <laughs> I don't okay. know. See, yeah, and it's kind of <laughs> like it doesn't matter for the plot, but except that. 
I spent a good chunk of the movie thinking about that because I had lots of time to think because it's two hours and 40 minutes long. Yeah. There's also a line in the movie where Anne Hathaway says we are the best of humanity. And I'm like, you're four American people, three of whom are dudes. (laughs) And none of you seem particularly intelligent to me. I don't understand how you four people are the best of humanity. You see what I mean about- Like, Wes Bentley's kind of pretty, but that's about all you guys have got going for you. And you see what I mean, though, about feeding into, like, physicists and engineers' um, superiority complex. It's like, oh, we're so important. Oh, Well, it was such a weird line. Yeah. I was like, you guys clearly are not the best- what about- You didn't even look at other countries. We don't even know if other countries still exist in this world. I was just about to ask you that. Was- What about the other- Is it just America that's stuck in this thing, or is it everybody? I mean, you'd be pretty- With climate change, you're pretty sure that the whole world goes down together right but maybe not maybe like some you know the swedes or the norwegians have been hoarding seeds or actually the norwegians are hoarding seeds but that's a whole other thing to get involved in but uh, like you know maybe someone else has like thought up another idea what about the european space program maybe you know they're they're pretty good they just Don't landed on a comet ridiculous <laughs> anyway um, there was actually this article I think I read once, and I can't remember. I, we might have to try and look it up now that I've mentioned it, but I'm sure there was this thing about what everybody else is doing while America's in dystopia, <laughs> like in the Hunger Games. Well, yeah, there's it's only America in the Hunger Games, right? There's the capital in the 12 districts. So all the other countries are just like, just let them sort it out. Let them sort it out. It's fine. We'll just keep on doing what we're doing and they can sort out their problems. Like, what happens to the rest of the world in dystopian futures? I know, right? Usually we at least get, like, a token shot of, like, Tokyo (laughs) under dust or something like that to sort of give us an idea of what's going on. No, no. This was only one little part of America and that's where the whole important world is. Right. And NASA just happens to, like kept its secret underground headquarters somewhere in the middle of freaking Kansas? No, it doesn't just happen to because he lived there because he worked for NASA. I mean, that's that's not a plot hole. That makes perfect sense. Right. It's exhausting thinking about this movie. Let's not think about it anymore. Okay, what are you giving Let's it? talk about how pretty Tom Hardy and Joseph Gordon-Levitt are in Inception. It's by the same director, right? Sure. We can – well, we've, <laughs> if we've got some spare weeks, we can review it. Um, What are you giving it? Three stars. Me too. Three stars. We agree. Yay. <laughs> Which is funny because we spent the whole time bagging it. I know, but, and, but it was still good enough to give it three stars. <laughs> well, that's why I tried to focus on some of the things I liked about it. The problem is whenever I start talking about the things I liked about it, I'm like, I really like this bit that turned out to be a plot hole. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you want to read the show notes, uh, you can do that at our website, silverscreenqueens.com. Uh, we're on Twitter at screen underscore queens. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash silverscreenqueens. We're also on Tumblr, tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com. And you can read Katie's review of Interstellar and all of the other movies that she watches on her blog, silverscreenqueen.wordpress.com. Thank you for listening. Bye. See you next time.